0: What you are about to hear is a lesson taught in the Buried and Born Essentials class. For more information, or to download all the resources made available in this class, click the link in the episode description, or visit buriedandborn.com. And now, this week's Essentials class. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're not in Deuteronomy very often. If you forgot to study for the test and did not read Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus and Numbers, you can hit up Deuteronomy, kind of like a Cliff Notes, and it'll tell you everything that happened in the first four books, all right? (laughs) Deuteronomy is a, a... is Moses retelling, bless you, retelling the history of Israel to Israel before he hands the reins over to Joshua, who is then going to take them into the promised land, okay? Uh, But Deuteronomy chapter eight, I just want to read a a few of these passages here. We're talking right now about um, um, a season of prayer and fasting and almsgiving, and just why we do these things. Fasting, um, probably above... uh, above the three, prayer and almsgiving and fasting. Fasting is the one that I think gets taken out of context very often in our setting. I think people people see fasting in a very pagan way. The idea of fasting is somehow I would uh, harm myself or sacrifice myself enough that God will finally hear me. Uh, And that's not what fasting is. Remember that God, uh, we said at the beginning that I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Part of the idea that when Israel would say the prayer, um, uh, Israel, uh, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, right? Part of that is not some, not just that there's only one God, but that God is singular and complete and whole in his oneness. So God does not lack anything. So there's nothing that you can give to God that he doesn't already have. Psalm 50, do you think that I need the blood of bulls and goats? Do you think if I was hungry or thirsty that I would ask you? God says that he has all things. Uh, God cannot have anything reduced from him or added to him because he is whole and completely good. So uh, God is not seeing something like our prayers or our fasting or our almsgiving and say, ah, yes, finally you have earned the ability to get the thing that I'm doing. God is always doing god is always calling god is always drawing but you and i cling to the world the flesh and the devil and because we cling to those things uh we have our hearts hardened and when our hearts are hardened we nullify the grace of god or we make it so that it it deflects right off of us and we miss the grace of god remember god's god's word is that seed that jesus said that there's these four soils But it's possible for the devil to come and take that seed away or it's possible for the cares of the world to choke that seed or it's possible to have that rocky, (laughs) stony soil that doesn't allow that seed to take root. And a lot of that is on us because we don't allow the seed to take root. And so when we say prayer and fasting and alms, what we're actually doing is we're doing a spiritual battle that fights off the world, the flesh, and the devil so that we might receive all these things that God is already trying to. To grant to us okay so fasting is not oh do you see how hungry i am god can you give me mercy he's already giving you that mercy it's that through prayer and fasting and alms we remove the things that are blocking that so just deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 1 here it says the whole commandment what i command to you today you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the lord swore to give your fathers and you shall remember the whole way that the lord your God." Has led you these forty years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So much more should we realize when we read the Old Testament that we're reading an explanation of the New Testament. So when Jesus quotes this in his temptation with Satan, it's because he has been clinging to it, in his studies ever since he was a child, growing in, 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 in grace and in favor with God and man. So, Jesus has been clinging to these texts so that he might perform these texts when he gets older. So, too, you and I have to be clinging to the text so that when Satan comes, uh, we're prepared for his temptations. But he makes, the, he, he says this here <clears throat> he says that he was, you were in the wilderness for 40 years. And the purpose of being in the wilderness for 40 years was so that they might finally be humbled. Everything that they did when they came out of Egypt, they just were clearly not humbled. They were not grateful for the grace that had gone uh, to, to, to free them from Pharaoh. I said to you last week, they would come back and say, boy, there was, some, there was garlic and onions and, and, and steak back in Egypt. Why don't we go there? You've brought us out into this wilderness to kill us. That one time they looked at the manna and they said, what is this? You've given us this light, cheap, nasty bread. We don't even want this. And over and over again, they keep rejecting the grace of God. And so God finally says to them uh, when they're in the wilderness, because they said, Moses said, take some spies and we're going to finally go into the land. And remember, the journey from Egypt to the promised land is 11 days and it took these clowns 40 years. Right. Now <laughs> I say that with such, such uh, that was, it was, it was really rude and I get it, but, and, and I'm, I, I'm the same as them, right? We, we, we received the grace of God and we turn around and we sin immediately. Um, so I'm a clown too, but it took 11 days into 40 years is a big deal. and, He sends the 12 spies into the land, and they come out of Egypt, and the spies go into the land, and and, uh, 10 were bad and 2 were good. And the 10 of them come back, and they say, guys, we can't take this land. It's not possible. And God says, I mean, I delivered you out of the hand of Pharaoh. I destroyed. If you think about, if you were to to take what happened to Egypt and bring it to the modern day, just think about how completely destroyed the nation would be. I mean, everything from their, their crops, their commodities, the Nile was their life. God destroys everything in the land of Egypt and takes them out of the, the, the power of the world scene, which, as a reminder to you today, uh, that kings uh, rise and fall uh, at God's determination. There, there is no superpower in the world except for God. Uh, and so uh, we trust in his will to do what is good. Um, and so God says, you didn't trust me in that. and that. because of that, nobody that's 20 years of age or older can go into the promised land. And I'm going to wait until the new generation has raised up and is, is humbled in this wilderness, receiving only my words, my manna. And when that is true, then I will take you into the promised land with Joshua. And so he says that, that to them. And his point here is that for 40 years, you are going to wander without all the the, the meats and cheeses and breads that you guys think you need, without the the milk and the honey, and you're going to have to rely for 40 years on the manna so that you will know that my words are true nourishment. And that's why when they say to Jesus in the New Testament, there's like, Lord, you haven't eaten in a while. You need something to eat. And he says, you don't understand. I have meat that you don't know. Because he is is with the Father receiving uh, truth. Moses goes into the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and he, he fasts during that time. And when he, when he goes, he's actually, in some way that we don't know, it's a mystery, but he is nourished in both body and soul by being in the presence of God. So Moses doesn't even need meat and drink for these 40 days because he's nourished by the presence of God. And so... Uh, when we talk about these forty days, the church—and I told you this before—in in the past it was right after Christmas they would fast for forty days, uh, and then people would be getting baptized at Easter, so they would have them fast as repentance for forty days. And the church kind of merged it all together. And these forty days that lead up to to to, to um, uh, Easter was a time of fasting. Which, by the way, forgot to tell you this: every year traditionally uh, it's Sunday, and I don't wear i don't dress up on tuesdays because i work from home so i did it today but i wore my mardi gras socks okay so happy mardi gras to those who observe i don't know <laughs> but not like the weird way of observing it okay yeah. not like the creepy louisiana way just mm, fat tuesday oh how many of you are old school enough that this this tuesday is you call it punchki day yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Punschki day. That's what I'm talking about. I wish I could have punchkis, but I can't. Alas, I'll die. <laughs> okay. So what was? So what? What's the point of replicating these fasts? These fasts are a time to humble ourselves. It doesn't earn us anything with God. It's a time to humble ourselves so that we come to realize that we need God. Um, I remember being younger and thinking, I don't know why I would need to pray to God to ask Him for anything. I Have enough money in my pocket, I can go to McDonald's at any time I want, right? Well that's a that's a sign of immaturity. Why would I need to why would I need to ask God why would we need to ask God to help the have the doctors be helped? They're the ones who went through the training. I mean, let's be honest, right? All things come from the Father, right? All things come from God. And so it's good to fast from those things because those things deceive us and they tell us that they are our true nourishment. They tell us that the work of our hands is the thing that makes us great. And so when we experience the starvation of this physical world, we can cling more to God. And so uh, there are different things that you can do. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't suggest anybody right now decide Sunday morning at... 10:27. you're going to do a 40-day full-on abstinence fast. That's not healthy or safe. You need to prepare for it. But it's good, <coughs> it's good to uh, not fast on Sundays because Sundays are uh, not considered a time of fast. Uh, it's a day of feasting and celebration. Sunday is always our eighth day. It's always our new creation day. So it's always a day of celebration. So anybody who's on a diet, you can always rejoice on Sunday that it is the history of the church today to feast, to eat, drink, and be merry because Christ is raised from the dead. <laughs> um, uh, but, but uh, Wednesdays and Fridays have been a traditional time uh, the, 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 uh, a lot of times the, uh, the, the Jewish people were fasting on Tuesdays and Thursdays and when the, the church was developing its, its tradition and, uh, to differentiate themselves to know that they're celebrating Christ they, they moved it to Wednesday and Friday Friday traditionally just being a remembrance of the crucifixion of Christ um, and so uh, you might have heard people abstain from meat during this time Again, this is not something that earns anything with God, but it's a, it's a way to constantly turn our minds to Christ. So every time that, I don't know if, if you're like me, and I, I don't eat as much meat as I used to because many people in my family have had quadruple bypass surgeries and I'm trying to not do that. So I've, I've reduced a little bit of that in my life. But uh, if you're the type of person that normally you sit down for a meal, it's pot roast, and, uh, and you sit down to that meal, and instead it's, it's potatoes and carrots, and there's no meat there, your brain is like, what's going on? I want some of this. Well, what is the reason that we do that? Because we're remembering the flesh of Christ, we're remembering that Christ's broken body on the cross for us. And it's a time of continually discipline the body. Paul talks about boxing his own body. It's disciplining the body to take something that we would just normally go through our days and lives and elevate it up to a point that we're focused on something greater and grander. But that that passage in Deuteronomy is what I wanted to just point out to you. And I wanted to mention fasting because prayer, obviously you can pray. You guys, we, we know how to pray, right? I hope so. I don't know how to pray. But um, we, we could, you could do uh, morning and evening prayers, and like I said, this is this is an opportunity. This will take you all the way up to Easter. Morning and evening prayers, um, alms giving. Uh is taking something that you wouldn't normally give and giving it to somebody, but without anybody knowing it so that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Uh, and you're just, what we're doing is we're disciplining ourselves so that for this purpose here, Deuteronomy 8, that we could cling to God's word and realize that that this is the true source of our nourishment. So uh, as I will for the next uh, a few weeks up until Easter, I would, I would uh, uh, invite you along in that same journey to... Uh, uh, study the scriptures and read the gospels, maybe focus more uh, time in, in in prayer and fasting and almsgiving, uh, so that it 's for this purpose that we would be humbled uh, and that we might that we might know truly know to internally know that man does not live but by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God okay so I hope that 's helpful all right luke twenty one we 'll bounce around here luke twenty one if you want to go there. We are finishing this this, uh, portion, uh, the second article, which is all about Jesus. And the last portion here is that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Um, Luke 21, and I'm going to go to verse 27 and 28. It's only two two verses here. Um, uh, And there will be signs in the sun and moons and stars and on the earth. Distresses of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great go- glory. Now, when this, these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing here. So we're talking today about this last portion, that Christ will come again to judge the living, of the dead, living and the dead. This is the last part of this story of Jesus. He uh, conquers sin. He conquers death uh, on Holy Saturday. He rises from the grave on Easter Sunday. He has ascended into the heavens and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. A lot of times when we talk about the second coming, um, we get into... Um, uh, I'm trying to think of a good word that doesn't sound too derogatory. Um, uh, spooky, uh, what's a good word? I'm always looking for better words. Uh, mysticism, mysticism by, uh, supernatural. supernatural, wacky was the word that I was trying not to say. Okay. <laughs> wacky stuff. Um, Daniel and revelation, right? They're, those are the, those are these two end of times, uh, uh, p- passages in the Bible. They're prophetic. They say a lot of crazy things. There's three frogs hopping around. There's <laughs> all kind of weird stuff. Um, and so generally, there are uh, extrapolations that we take from these books. And then what we do is we try to apply them and overlay them to whatever we're currently seeing in the moment. And then we're, we're looking for the coming of, uh, of Jesus based on these things. I was just saying to Tom a few minutes ago, You can look around at the world and you can go, oh my goodness, there's a plague that just happened. It's the end of the world. Oh my goodness, I thought that the UN was going to stop us from ever going back to a a, a world war. Now we're almost there again. It's the end of the world. The world has been ending for 2,000 years, right? And again, if you lived at any other time, you could have thought the world was ending there too. I mean, imagine going through uh, two world wars and a Great Depression. I'm sure that our grandparents that were Christians had to believe that it was imminent, uh, and then it didn't happen. Those people who lived through the Cold War, people who uh, lived through going under their desks to, you know, during, uh, you know, faux nuclear uh, raid sirens, like these. It's it's been it's there's been a feeling. I remember I remember I was seventeen years old in September eleventh, two thousand one. Um, as a kid, you're like, oh, this is it. Right, this is the end of the world. I've never seen two buildings fall out of the sky. This is like TV CGI stuff. It's the end of the world, and it just keeps never ending. And so we're not supposed to think of the end of the world um, by the signs and the times and applying it as such. We are supposed to look at the times, the the signs of the times, and realize this is why He has to come back. Right, and so uh, He says here, straighten up and lift up your heads. So it's not a time uh, for fear and worry. Uh, it's not a time to be consumed with all these little details. And so I would say to you, Revelation is a really great book. The, the best parts of Revelation are the parts that talk about Christ as king. They create great mental iconography. They create some great images. Use those and have those. Sing Handel's Messiah. Um, these, are, these are wonderful images. But I would tell you not to get too bogged down into the meaning of every little thing that you read. In Daniel and Revelation because so far most people who have claimed X Y and Z mean something have not been accurate on those things Um, and there have been book series and there have been things that just get people all uh, bent out of shape so I I don't do that Uh, things like the mark of the beast Everything's been the mark of the beast, to be honest with you. <laughs> and so uh, do, here, here's, here's the best thing that I would say to you about making sure that you don't ever take the mark of the beast were it to come. Uh, do not deny Christ, right? That's about the extent of all I can tell you. I mean, Jesus isn't going to be like, oh, you used a credit card. <laughs> gotcha. Remember, God's, God does not gotcha us. He's trying to save us. Uh, and so don't worry about those things and don't be don't be afraid of those things because we're not supposed to be in fear right Mm -hmm. so but how do we approach the 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 end of times and so let me uh go through a few of these questions here and see we can talk so jesus will return as we just read in luke jesus will return in power and glory and all will see and this age will end now the first thing that might come to some of your minds is are there two comings of jesus right does he come back once secretly for the church and does he then come back a second time uh, I don't know what Pastor Andrew thinks, so I'd have to ask his opinion. So I'm not going to tell you my opinion, but we do know. So the the surveys, here, here's, the, here's the idea. The idea is that we can break down all the events of the end times and say, this happens, then this happens, then this happens, and this happens. And so there are there are beliefs that there is a first coming where Jesus takes the church away, and then a final second coming. There is uh, the idea that it's all actually just a singular event or Christ returns. Uh, and so we won't get into all that. I'm gonna, I want to... Uh, today, um, but if we wanted to talk about that in the future, we could, but we won't get into all that today. The idea is when Christ finally returns and it's the end, that's what we're concerned about, right? So so that's what what I want you to focus on. But when he returns, he will come in glory and all will see him. It will not be, uh, a, you know, wondering like, oh, is there this guy over there? When he returns, remember the transfiguration, Right? When Christ returns, it won't be a question. You and I aren't going to look around and be like, you know, there's this guy over in Romania and he's claiming to be Christ. It'll be in glory and in power and the world will see him and they will know that it's him. And at this time, the present order will pass away and God ushers in a new creation. This is when we see in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. He's restoring all of creation. All, this, is, this is when we have the resurrection of the dead. This is when you and I are given our new bodies, when we put on incorruptible. And he returns to make all things new. He's concluding it. Okay? Um, all the saints will be with God. This is our hope, right? That we get to be with him. We don't be, we're not going to be standing here. Don't worry. There's, there's not a massive war that could separate you from God. When Christ returns in glory, he will gather to him his elect. That, that's you and I. Um, we cannot know the time. That's the extent of it. So we don't need to bother with it, right? We do not know when the father will tell the son it's completed. Uh, so why why does time continue to exist, right? After the resurrection of Jesus, why didn't he just shut it down and just finish at the time? Um, Jesus is awaiting with the Father the repentance and the creation of all who trust in him. And this is the debate back and forth on, you know, does, do, do humans have free will or is everything predetermined? And we're not going to get into that today as well. I'm telling you more things that we're not getting into than what we are getting into, right? Because the, the main focus is, is, is here, and I've got like seven minutes. So... In God's foreknowledge, as long as time remains, that means there is someone who is either yet to come to repentance or someone who is yet to be born that God knows is part of his body. Mm-hmm. So while time exists, God is still calling us to repentance and those that are part of his body are being born so that they might know him and receive him. That's the wisdom and the foreknowledge of God that we, we dare not touch on because as Job says, these things are, are, are above me. So we just know that's why time exists and that's why uh, he continues. Uh, so those are a couple things fair. Uh, how do we await his coming? We await his coming with joy, right? It's going to be a great day when he finally comes. So we, we, this is our hope. This is our joy. As we see... Um, uh, fools and tyrants do what they do in the world, we await with joy that the true king does come. Our help comes from the hills and we, we look to the east knowing that one day he will appear in glory and power and he will settle all these things. Now, when the scripture tells us that God is going to, that Christ is going to judge us, remember, judge is not just saying like, that's bad and that's good. Uh, judging is saying that they're gonna make all things right. Like if you were to go to court and you'd be like, hey, that person stole my Beanie Babies. The, the court would then take, the, take, take the, all the evidence and they would say, um, this is the judgment that I make. This is the thing that happened. This is the thing that it's going to need to require restitution to make it right. So when Christ comes to judge, it's not simply just saying this is the good and this is the bad. It's that he's going to make things right by making judgments to raise up and tear down what is evil uh, and and to correct what is wrong. And so we look with hope in the world that even when we see wrongdoing, Christ is not just going to come back and judge being like, yes, that was bad. Don't worry. He's going to say, yes, that was bad. And here's how it's going to be restored. Remember in the Old Testament. He is able to restore double uh, what is taken. And so in his coming, just take, take heart that, it, that all of the wrong will be called wrong, but it will also be corrected at that time. Um, all will be judged uh, by Christ. No one escapes this. He is the one, Acts tells us, that has been appointed by the Father to judge all of us. A man will judge all of us. So it's, it's, it's fair. Part of the reason that we have something like uh, juries is that someone among your peers not some authority that's out of touch with us, not some appointed magistrate gets to say that you're guilty. It has to be your peers that have received the evidence and can say, yes, you did that crime, you're guilty. And so God, in his graciousness, has appointed that one of us will be the ones that judge us. And so Christ, our peer, our brother, is going to, by the word of God, say to us whether we are justified or not justified. Uh, All those who are apart from Christ into eternal rejection and all of those who are found in Christ into eternal blessing. The scripture tells us that God is like a fire who goes forward and consumes his enemies. Um, God is not, I said this before, God is not trying to trick us into hell. God is not trying to trick us into punishment. Those that stand recalcitrant with hard hearts and unrepentant hearts that willingly desire to, 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 to act against the word of God, are those who will meet the fire of God's wrath. God does not have wrath, if I can use that phrase. God has love. But it's in the same way, uh, you know how your car has force when it's driving? But you can say, like, how many horsepower does this car have? I don't know much about cars, so forgive me if I go off the trail here. But you can say something like, how many horsepower uh, does this car have? Um, You could say, you know, based on uh, calculations of physics, what is the force Uh, the mass times acceleration this car produces, but you can't say that a car has collision, right? Because collision is not a thing that a car has until it happens, right? So God does not have wrath. He has love, and that love is like force. When you and I uh, receive his love, then it's like, again, this is a terrible analogy, but just go with me. We, we're joining in with the car and with inertia, we're going with the father, right? We're carrying along with him. So you sitting in a car going 70 miles an hour, you could sleep like a baby, right? Because you're going along with it. Now, if you're going 70 miles an hour or the car is going 70 miles an hour and you decide to step in front of the car, you're going to experience collision, right? So that is what the wrath of God is. He does not like you and I, he God, God is not a man. The Scripture tells us, uh, and the wrath of God worketh not; or the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. James tells us, and so when we, are, when, when God's love is doing what God's love does, and we stand in front of it, that's when collision happens, and that's what we know to be the wrath of God. So don't be afraid that God's just just ticked off at you, and because he sees something he doesn't like, he wants to punish you. The wrath that we experience in Him is just so that we've decided to act against His love willfully. That's what the wrath of God is. And those who experience this rejection are those who are recalcitrant, those who have committed, as we call it, the unpardonable sin. You can't get tricked into doing the unpardonable sin. You can't accidentally do the unpardonable sin. You willingly do the unpardonable sin, which is to reject Christ in the Holy Spirit and his work. And so uh, that's what the wrath is uh, of God. Only the unrepentant should fear God's judgment. Only the unrepentant should fear God's judgment. You and I do not have fear of his judgment, but you and I should live our lives examining ourselves to see whether we be in christ that's our obligation which is a a a a perfect thing uh for these 40 days to be examining ourselves to see whether we be in christ um and so that's what i want you to understand about the the return of uh, of christ there's a couple things i'll point to next week before we get into uh the holy spirit um because i want to talk to you about how christ has ordained his church to oversee the forgiveness of sins in people and what benefit we do have as a church so that we could face Christ's judgment uh, fully justified and fully confident that, that we're forgiven of our sins. Uh, so let's pray and I will let you go into worship.